Up next, we're going full throttle with some of the biggest trends we see taking shape in 2019. That's right. It's time for the second annual Rick and Rick predictions episode. We're talking everything from AI to VR to MarTech and more. And it all starts right here, right now. On the one show where everybody's name is Rick. And everybody rules the world. Hello, my friend. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. You know, we've got a, a you know, somewhat sunny day today. We've had so much rain the last couple months that uh, it's been nice to get a little bit of a break. Finally. You know, I, I was listening to the recent episode where you mentioned that the folks in your Toronto team, the, the toilets were freezing over the other yeah. morning when I was yeah. cold and I thought, okay, I can't complain. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Welcome everybody to Rick and Rick Rule the World. This is Rick Matheson. And as always, I'm joined by Rick Wooten. And coming off our last episode where we did our scorecard for our 2018 predictions, this time out, we're going to talk about our 2019 predictions. So looking ahead now. So it should be a pretty good episode. You know, we talked in our last episode how I had predicted Disney ruling the box office this last year. One thing I will say before we get cranking here is I am going to predict now that there is at least a 50-50 chance that Avengers Endgame will be 2019's box office champ by far, and at least an 80% chance that Disney will once again account for more than 20%, maybe even 25% of global box office revenues for the year. That feels like a totally safe bet <laughs> this time. It, it Last does. year's was a stretch prediction. This one feels like a safe prediction. Uh, I don't you think know, there's any chance of that failing, to be honest with you. I mean, no one else even came close last year. That's true. I actually think Captain Marvel might give the Avengers movie a run for its money. That'd be awesome. So, uh, you know, let's call that a prediction. I, I predict it's going to give it a run for its money. Let's say that it hits at least 80% of the revenue. The two are inextricable. So there's not one without the other. They're both together. So, all right. You know, so we talk about video games quite a bit, but we don't actually end up making it to the show most of the time. And you know, I'm a big gamer. There's been a really interesting paradox in gaming in the last, <clears throat> I don't know, say a couple of years. And, uh, you know, a few companies have really come under fire for their practice around loot boxes. And, you know, specifically what the idea here is that you'll go and buy a $60 or $100 video game and then you have to pay to un in additional money to unlock certain things in the games like, right. you know, the, a skin or, you know, a, a character or what have you. And uh, it's become so bad that, you know, some games, you know, borderline on being kind of unplayable because people who dump a ton of money into it just dominate the game. And so uh, EA has taken a beating on this. And in fact, I, I think there's been, uh, you know, uh, European probes into this where they're, you know, evaluating their business practices. And, you know, uh, they kind of single handedly destroyed the, you know, uh, the Star Wars Battlefront game that that uh, they released. Uh, and I think I think after that, uh, you know, the Star Wars uh, uh, license pulled back from them. So anyways, there's, so there's been this, this whole big drama around loot boxes and pay-per-play. And out of that has come this really interesting kind of uh, paradigm where, you know, we've had software as a service or platform as a service in, in the business world. Well, now they're starting to have games as a service. And the idea is that, you know, to kind of address some of the you know, the, the feedback that they're getting and to give games a longer shelf life, but yet allow the developer to get some money out of it. They've introduced uh, games like, and I think we've talked about how I, I, I played a lot of The Division and, you know, I'm playing Anthem and a few of these other ones where, you know, there's the original game that's released, but then they have an episodic uh, release schedule with it where they'll release, you know, two, three, four different 
add-ons to the game as part of the initial package and then there's some opportunity to then you know purchase more content it's it's absolutely fascinating approach uh that's coming out this year so my prediction is that that idea of you know a game as a service or a platform as a service will make it into gaming this year and you're going to see more of these triple a games come out with this episodic uh approach to it as opposed to being like the game that they release with with just some patches so i think that's uh, smart so you're essentially talking about a game as a subscription, really. It's not a one-off. Yep. It's it's a continuing yep. storyline that they'll be adding things. I know it would vary probably by title, but do you know what they're expecting? Is it every three months, every two months that they would add a new piece of the the story? Yeah, I don't I don't know uh, if anybody has kind of projected that across the industry. But what I've been seeing from the, you know, whether it's Destiny or Division or what have you, uh, it seems like it's kind of a quarterly or, you know, in some cases, monthly release. Wow. Uh, you know, the monthly releases are very small. The quarterly are, are big. Like, you take uh, Division. You know, that was a game that, you know, embarrassingly, I think I put 1,400 hours into. Uh, <laughs> and that's not a made-up number. Wow. And, uh yeah, the the game came out and it was this, you know, this core kind of open world, you know, explore and, and, and thing. And they had a little bit of an end game. Uh, but then they started releasing, you know, incremental game modes. And so one of my favorite is called Survival, where, you know, they... they one of, the, one of the funnest things about games is at the very beginning, that idea of discovery and everything's new and you have to go build something for scratch from the first time. And so what Division did is they added the survival mode where they take your character, they strip off everything that you've got. You've got no guns. You've got, well, actually, I think you have one pistol, but you have, you know, none of this, this gear that you've built up and they drop you in the middle of New York in a snowstorm. And if you are outside too long, uh, you'll freeze to death. And so you have to go find, you know, weapons, you have to go find clothing, you have to go find everything. Wow. And so, and try and survive while at the same time being infected by this virus. And so if you don't keep taking medicine, <laughs> you'll also die. And so, you know, everything's stacked against you, but it's a different game every single time you play it because it's, you know, totally dependent on what gear you find and, you know, which path you take and where it drops you in the map. So, right. you know, I... I think that, uh, you know, the, the game developers are finding ways to, you know, basically take the same engine, the same content, but then, you know, take another view on it. And Division did that great. They added, you know, two, three, four different, you know, play styles into it. And uh, and so we're going to see what they do. Division 2 uh, comes out in a couple of weeks. I've been playing uh, the beta for that, uh, as well as Anthem, which uh, kind of follows, you know, it's another EA game, kind of follows that same, that same model. Uh, anyways. We'll see. We'll see. But anyways, my prediction is that that game as a service uh, is what they're calling it will start to become mainstream. We're going to see quite a few uh, AAA games come out this year that will focus on that as a as a delivery. Okay. So my first prediction is I think that this year, MarkTech in general, or really automated marketing is going to get a reality check, probably more so in the B2B world, just because it's so dependent on it. In fact, I think it's already starting to happen. I saw an article, Target Marketing, they put it, you know, we, it's important that we don't confuse marketing automation for marketing strategy. A lot of people do, you know, 
MarTech continues to grow this year, it's not a silver bullet for everything. And estimated that only about 1% of deals can be directly tied to marketing automation across the main. I'm sure some companies may have better scorecards right. in that front, but, but in general, only about 1% of deals can be tied to marketing automation. Now, that estimate, I'm not sure I totally agree with it. Sales is always going to take 100% credit for a sale, <laughs> no matter how pre-qualified or pre-sold the leads are that they receive from marketing or just disconnects. You see sort of that lack of a last mile in a lot of marketing automation implementations anyway, where you can't tell what happens once something has been handed off to sales. So it kind of falls off, you know, oh, I hope that, that became a sale. Some companies are great at closing that last mile, but a lot aren't. Either way, I think that this year there's going to be more questions, I think, about these investments until that last mile can really be attributed across the board in most implementations. That is my prediction for marketing automation in 2019. Excellent. I completely agree with you, by the way. Uh, and, and one of my predictions this year is that we're going to see a return to kind of old school marketing practices. And so, you know, if you think about GDPR, if you think about uh, Castle, if you think about the upcoming California regulations, uh, it's becoming more and more difficult for a marketing person to use things like cookies to uh, track their users, to justify their campaigns, to find out what's really going on. And, you know, like uh, companies I've, I've been working with this last year have seen a huge drop off in yeah. the amount of traffic they can track from the, the EU, as an example, yeah. because of uh, the, the cookie regulations. And so I, I predict that we're going to see a paradigm shift and it's going to go old school. And, uh, you know, when you look at uh, how website traffic or how campaign traffic used to be reported on. It used to be done at the server side. It used to be done not with cookies, but by log files. And I think we're going to return to that. And I think we're going to return to that in kind of a big way because it gets around a lot of these regulations and, and allows people, even from an anonymous standpoint, to uh, understand what's going on. And, you know, with the advent of, you know, big data, and, you know, big data is everywhere and storage is cheap. Uh, server side reporting has become more uh, more relevant, it's become more accessible and it's more resilient than, than some of the pixel-based code given the new regulations. So I think we're going to see a shift back to, to the old school world. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, you even look at like Google and even publishers, I think it's USA Today or something, maybe it's New York Times, I'm not sure, but after GDPR took effect, you know, they couldn't do the targeting that they used to do. So they have shifted back to old school advertising that's based just on what you happen to be looking at as opposed to who you are, where you are and that kind of thing. It's performing better. Better. Uh -huh. um, they have not lost revenues and now they're going, well, hey, it's it's a really interesting, almost kind of unintended consequence of all of this, but but actually kind of encouraging too. Okay, so my number two prediction this year, this one's tougher. I don't know if it's 2019. I think it will start in 2019 and we'll see it in force in 2020 for sure. I think that deep fakes are going to mean some very serious headaches in the year ahead. News and social media platforms are going to face a lot of pressure to protect against all this emerging deep fake technology. Deep fake technologies being technologies that allow you to completely mimic someone's voice or audiovisual to make it appear as if they're doing or saying anything that you want. We've talked about it on a recent uh, episode. These AI-based tools really make it 
possible to fake just about anything in someone's own voice and likeness. The Wall Street Journal is actually training journalists to detect deep fakes. There are some telltale signs, apparently. I mean, no one's going to get away with it, you know, forever. But the problem is when a deep fake audio or video is released, then there'll be that period of time where it'll spread like wildfire before someone is able to point out it's not real. Going into 2020 election cycle, especially, I think we're going to have some real challenges there to discern what is real and what is fake news, because people are going to want to just believe something. If it's pro their tribe and anti their uh, the other tribe, they're going to gravitate toward their own. And I think that's going to create some problems. And in fact, all presidential campaigns have promised not to use stolen data this election cycle, except one. You know who that is. I don't even have to tell you. So, you know, it's going to be a challenging election year. Yeah. You know, I I, uh, I, I kind of harken back to the past. You know, we this is not the first time this type of type right. of issue has, has surfaced, right? When Photoshop came out, you know, people right. uh, weren't expecting that to happen, like like expecting fakes to happen. So they weren't looking for it and they believed a lot of stuff. The same sort of thing when, you know, picture manipulation, even, you know, in a photo booth kind of happened years ago. And so uh, I, I think we'll adapt to this as we have with the other ones, but I think you're absolutely right. There will be a t- period of time where people will jump to conclusions and accept things at face value without, you know, knowing that they really need to have a critical eye on it or frankly, to your point, they the what the message is coming out aligns so well to their own, they just accept it. My number two prediction is that AI will emerge as the new creative director. What, what, I what mean you talking about, Wooten? <laughs> <laughs> what I mean about this is you know, today, you know, we're starting to see AI write the copy for ads. We're starting yeah. to see AI trying to determine, you know, the right, you know, imagery and color palette. I think all those components somebody's going to bring all those together and I'm, I'm saying emerging i'm not saying it's going to take over but i i think somebody's going to get that right this year and we're going to see an example of a fully ai driven campaign where the ai is the creative director it's choosing the designs it's choosing the colors it's choosing the language and the copy and it's pulling it and it's doing a ton of testing and it's pulling together the quote unquote perfect ad and so I, I think we're going to see an example of that. I think it's going to be hyped this year, but uh, still not convinced that it's uh, scalable or that it's, uh, you know, will something that, that will go mainstream just because there's a lot of limitations with it as well. But I think we're going to see this this year. And I think AI within the marketing world, within advertising is going to be a really big push. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I remember a day not too long ago where, you know, as a creative director and writer, it kind of thought about the world of automation and, you know, robotics and AI as there was almost a sense of, well, at least they can't take my job. (laughs) And that's not so much, that's not true anymore. I think that you're right. I don't know if it's 2019. I think you're right. Things are going to happen in 2019 toward that, you know, and I could actually see some value in it. You know, I don't know if it's customer acquisition, but I could see it being cross-selling for on-site visitors that is AI based that present based on what the AI knows about that user. It's not creepy in any way. It's that's a it's brand I'm trusting. I've already said I want information like this. And it presents you with, hey, did you know that with your credit score today, you could get you know this loan at this whatever, or you could switch to this for your house, you know, that kind of thing. I think people would love that. And that's something that AI could do and uh, create something compelling. You know, we saw, I think we had on the show, the Burger King ads written by AI. We couldn't decide if that was for real or, or not, but uh, it's just a matter of time. I think that it will 
will get good enough and effective enough at some time that that will be a real thing. I agree. I completely agree. So my number three prediction is this year, CX, so customer experience, I think it's going to hit some turbulence. So if you think about 2018, last year, Amazon got like, what, 49% of all online e-commerce sales? Half of all sales? Wow. Nearly half. And so everybody else is fighting for that other half. And of course, the winners are going to be the ones that are fastest, smoothest, they have the most compelling, it's still secure, but still, you know, compelling experiences. But across the board, Forrester Research said that in 2018, 30% of businesses saw declines in customer experience performance. And it resulted in a net loss of a point of growth for those companies. And CX, you know, initiatives, it was uneven this last year. And you saw a lot fall into sort of this fix-it mode. Something happened and they need to fix it as opposed to being some kind of digital transformation for the company. And if that continues, I think, you know, it all depends on macroeconomics here. What I think now people are feeling like 2019 is going to be okay and first signs of maybe some kind of retraction in 2020. You know, who really knows? The moment you see any kind of contraction, I think companies are going to, you know, you talked about old school marketing. I think that they're going to be competing less on CX than they think they will be and more on price to remain competitive. And uh, that's going to be a danger zone because as we all know, that is a race to the bottom. But those that are successful, like keep on trekking with improving their CX, I think it was Bain and company said that that translates in general into revenue growth that is four to eight percent above the average for that sector. So CX is hugely important, whether or not it is able to withstand the real time pressures of the business world in tail end of 2019, early 2020 remains to be seen. But I do think it is going to hit some turbulence this year. All right. So my number one uh, is VR is going to go big this year. And unfortunately, I don't mean big like everybody's going to use it, but I mean, it's going to go into big spaces. And so, you know, we know that there's a new Oculus headset coming out in the next month or so that is going to be wireless. It's going to be their second one after the go. And we are seeing now some of these, these, I don't know what you call them, open experience VR environments pop up. And so in one of the local theaters here, they have a company called Spaces coming in that's doing this Terminator experience where you'll have, I, I I don't know if it's four or eight people in a room in a large room who can you know effectively interact in in kind of like a, a in the same environment and wow. i think this this is going to go big this year. I think, you know, spaces is an example of that. I think even within your your own home, even within small environments, you're going to see this take off and it's going to become effectively, if you remember the laser tag and, you know, arenas, it's going to become a VR arena. And I think this is the year we're going to see this start to emerge. This is the year where the technology has gotten there, uh, where you don't have to tether uh, and, and I think that's going to be an enabling technology to create these amazing experiences. So this is this is a big one for me. Wow, that sounds cool. So are you saying at this spaces place that if you're eight people or whatever in an arena, you have the gear on, it's wireless, that you see each other. So you're not going to run into each other in the same space. You're all just going into a virtual space together. I'm not sure about the spaces one. I know that the spaces is a, uh, a large environment. You know, it's a wow. room where multiple people are in it. So it's got that facet uh, already baked, right? And you go in with a team of your friends, uh, and I think it's four, but it might be eight. Maybe there's like two sides. And so there is that idea of being in, 
you know, like a warehouse and being able to duck behind uh, tables or partitions wow. and walls. Uh, but I don't know that it is truly wireless. I, you know, from some of the shots that I've seen of the, the gameplay and stuff, it looks like they're wearing an HTC Vive, which is not wireless right now. So unless they bought wireless adapters for them. But I, I think that this is pointing the way where we're going to have large scale environments with the wireless headsets and we're going to see this kind of take off, especially with the Oculus Quest coming out. The price point, you know, I think it's less than 400 bucks. Uh, doesn't require a tethered PC. You just have to have a good network. I, I, I think this is going to enable companies, upstarts to go start, you know, moving to the next level and creating larger scale VR environments. And I'm very excited to see where this is going to go because I, I do think this is where the game starts to change. No pun intended. Well, awesome. Well, this has been a great conversation, folks, and I hope you've enjoyed it. Be sure to listen to our scorecard from our 2018 predictions. And as always, you can you can connect with Rick and I on Twitter or rickandrick.com. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Wooten, W-O-O-T-T-E-N. And how about yourself, Rick? Yes, you can find us, as Rick mentioned, at rickandrick.com and all places, Twitter and Facebook. And you can find me directly at imatheson.com. That's I-M-A-T-H-I-E-S-O-N.com. Thank you for listening. And be sure to come back for The One Show, where everybody's name is Rick and everybody rules the world. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks so much, everyone.